Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of the Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode and the following three, we'll look at the significance of Jesus' arrival on earth. Historically, we certainly do not know the exact date of Jesus' birth. And with our holiday traditions, we have certainly incorporated uh, many elements that have pagan origins. But for many Christians, this time of year is a time to celebrate that arrival of Jesus as a baby to Mary and Joseph and all that it means for humanity. You'll hear many Christians refer to this time of year as Advent. Uh, The weeks leading up to Christmas uh, are a time to reflect on Jesus' arrival. So with our next few episodes, we'll take the time to touch on the themes that so many Christians are thinking about and and themes that are so important for us to share with others. This episode specifically will deal with hope. When Jesus arrived, he brought hope. Unfortunately, we live in a society where many people, even followers of Christ, uh, live with a sense of hopelessness. We live as people who have no hope. Many that I know uh, live with a sense of feeling alienated. And many who uh, feel alienated assume that there is absolutely no one or ever will be anyone in their corner. I know others who are overcome with an impending sense of doom or helplessness or captivity uh, that may cause them to jump to conclusions about the worst case scenario. Others deal with a sense of powerlessness, being oppressed or limited in some way. When individuals can't appreciate their own talents and gifts, they're prone to discount any evidence of personal success or effectiveness, and they feel powerless. Now, we know logically that the antidote to these things or to uh, be trusting and open to uh, how others actually experience us, not just what we think about ourselves. We need to be willing to get outside our heads and to see if what we're feeling on the inside uh, corresponds to what's actually going on in the outside world. And we also have to be willing to examine the evidence. Anytime we receive any type of medical diagnosis, we ought to be willing to do the research and the homework to get the facts so that we know exactly what we're dealing with and so that we can change our perspective and have our feelings and attitudes reflect reality rather than our imaginations. So much of whether a person is hopeful or feels hopeless depends on expectations. And as Christians, Our expectation should be tied to things that glorify God. If we're expecting uh, the world around us and all of our circumstances and all uh, of our talents and abilities to glorify God, and we feel that connection with him, we have a reason for hope. If we're disconnected from that, 
and we have no other source of affirmation, sense of purpose, sense of belonging, sense of direction, we could feel hopeless. There are a few passages in Scripture that I think we should uh, look at at this point. First of all, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, where Paul writes, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul is writing to a group of Christians in a town called Ephesus, and he reminds them that there was a time in their life that they had no hope. It was a time when they were separated from Christ, and because of that, they were alienated from God and did not have him. So according to scripture, the source of a genuine hopelessness comes from not being connected with God. Our hope is with him. Luke chapter 2 verse 24 says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. These were a couple of disciples who were walking down the road toward Emmaus after Jesus's tomb had been found empty. And as Jesus approached them before they realized who he was, they shared with him that they had hoped They had put their hope in Jesus that he would be the one to redeem Israel. So in that moment, they felt like they had been separated from Jesus and therefore no longer had hope. But they seemed to have been right to place their trust in him to start with. And we know the rest of the story that they are overwhelmed by realizing that Jesus has been raised from the dead. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 19, Paul writes, If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied. Paul lets the folks in Corinth know that it's not enough just to place our hope or our expectations on fulfilling Jesus's will and ministry here on earth. We have an expectation of being united with him physically in eternity. And and that if we only hold on to Jesus and his teachings uh, for the benefit it gives us in this life, we should actually be pitied because what comes in eternity is even better. It seems that Paul would tell us that if we genuinely feel hopeless, regardless of what we think the cause is, it may mean that we've not fully understood what it means that Jesus came to earth as a man. So we enter into this holiday season, and it's a season for hope. Scripture tells us multiple reasons why those who put their trust in Jesus should have hope. The first is the resurrection. Paul writes to the Christians in Thessalonica and says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Death is certainly a time when uh, a lot of us wonder what comes next. When we experience the loss of a loved one or a, a close friend, we wonder what happens now. It can cause us to grieve if there is no hope for us. But Paul says Christians have a hope of resurrection, and therefore we don't grieve the way others do. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have reason to hope because Jesus' tomb was found empty. 
As we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, we do so with the eager anticipation of the conclusion of the story, knowing that he lives a perfect life and is executed by Roman guards on a cross and is placed into a tomb, and three days later he's raised from the dead. We're told that Jesus was the first or the first fruits of those who will die and be resurrected. We have reason for hope because no matter how bad this life is, we have a life that will get better, that will go on forever. Another reason for hope is the opportunity to experience the glory of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 2 says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Also in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writes, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. When we take these two passages together and we see how Paul talks about the glory of God and how we experience it in Christ, it's a reason for our hope. We mentioned in our last episode when we talked about giving thanks that any blessing we have that has God attached to it puts us in a a better situation than any blessing we receive apart from God. Having God as a part of our lives and a part of our meaning for existence and, and the glory that comes with that are all reasons for our hope. But just as we've uh, mentioned resurrection and God's glory, and those things are even tied together because they lead us into eternity, we have to acknowledge that the inheritance that God has promised us, that eternal life, is a reason for hope. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? See, we've been given an inheritance to be able to live with God for eternity, and that is the hope that we have been called to. And Titus chapter 3 verse 7 says, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If we truly believe that God is who he says he is, and that there is no better place to be than with him, and we have this promise that will be fulfilled, we eagerly expect its fulfillment. That's really what hope is. It's not just a crossing my fingers and using the power of positive thinking to try to get what I want. It's a knowing that God is faithful, and that whatever he says is going to happen. And that knowing is our hope. So those were three reasons we have hope. What is the source of this hope? If I'm not feeling it, how do I get it? Well, scripture again mentions a few things. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. And the passage continues. But he mentions that that good hope comes through grace. One of the sources of our hope is the grace of God. When we realize that God has showered us with grace, we realize the meaning of that and the significance of it and and what it leads to, it becomes a source of hope. 
Now, remember, grace means favor, especially an unmerited favor. Nothing I deserve. Uh, God just did me a favor. Without him showing me the path and showing me the way, I would never have been able to save myself. But he did me a favor by telling me how I can be rescued. And it's through his son, Jesus. Because of that grace, I have hope. And grace isn't a one-time thing. My life is full of points of grace where it's obvious that God has done favors for me. And when I put those together, it reinforces that notion that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. Therefore, I have hope. I know that I will be raised from the dead and live with him for eternity. Another source of this hope is faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. How do I know that I will live with God for eternity? It's faith. And we've mentioned before in previous episodes that faith, the way the Bible describes it, is not just a mental assent or or an agreement in our minds with something that God said, but it's an actual trusting in what God has said so deeply that it affects our lives. We follow through on those things that he's told us because we trust its accuracy. We trust God's faithfulness. And so we trust him enough to do whatever he says. First Peter chapter one, verse 21 says, talking about the elect who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. We put faith in God, therefore we have hope in God. Faith and hope work together. If I can trust what God says and I continue to act on that, I know that God is faithful to fulfill his promises and that is my hope. And a third source of this hope is our endurance in scripture. Romans chapter 5, verses 4 through 5 says, Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If I can endure, continue to do what God's told me to do, no matter what the consequences are here on earth, If I just continue to trust him and keep on doing what he's told me to do until he says stop, that produces character in me. And as my character develops, I become more hopeful. That produces hope, and that hope will not put us to shame because God has loved us and poured his spirit into us. Later in that same letter, uh, but this time Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul writes, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. If we can persevere in what God has revealed to us through Scripture, we certainly have hope. We know that we are walking in the light, as we discussed in previous episodes. We know that God will fulfill his promises. And again, that is hope. You know that having hope is a great power. Having something you can hang on to and and anticipate is something that builds confidence in us and, and, and encourages us and strengthens us. It is a great power. And we've already seen that it's something that Jesus gave us. Now, Jesus in Gospel of Luke is recorded as saying, to anyone who's given much, much will be expected. 
That's an early version of what you may have heard in Spider-Man movie when Peter Parker's Uncle Ben says, with great power comes great responsibility. God has given us this hope, and it is something very powerful that gives us strength. But with that power of hope comes responsibility. What is our responsibility in relation to hope? Well, first of all, we're told that we are responsible for waiting patiently. God will will fulfill his promises on his timetable, on his terms. Will we wait patiently for that or will we try to circumvent his desires to get what we want sooner? Listen to Romans chapter 8 starting in verse 24, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Galatians chapter 5, verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Because we have the Spirit's power and we have faith, we have the capacity to eagerly anticipate the fulfillment of our hope, but we're willing to wait. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. When we have hope, when we have a hope in God fulfilling his promises, we're willing to wait patiently, and we have a responsibility to do so. Another responsibility we have is uh, to be bold for Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul wrote, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. There are a lot of folks who uh, claim to have hope, but they're very timid or even scared. I know that in our society, there are a lot of Christians who fear the passage of certain laws or certain groups of people being in charge and that we may lose rights. But we have hope in Christ. Since we have such a hope, we should be very bold. It really doesn't matter what's going on in the secular world. Our promise is of a world to come, and therefore we can be very bold for Christ. We actually have a responsibility to do so. Another of our responsibilities because of this hope that we have is protecting our thought life. If I allow my thought life to get corrupted, it may diminish my hope. I may let uh, the lies of the world seep in and, and scare me, frighten me away from trusting God and doing things his way and, and trying to latch on to some worldly solution for my dilemmas. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8 says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. This is a variation from, from the Christian armor that Paul mentions in the book of Ephesians. But here he mentions a breastplate of faith and love and a helmet that is the hope of salvation. We protect our heads with a helmet. The things we think will affect whether we experience this hope. And many of the people who feel hopeless have bought into the lies of the world and are focused on those things that are not true rather than focused on the salvation that we have in Christ, the promises that God has made to his faithful and have the eager expectation of the fulfillment of those promises. The way we think affects our hope. 
First Peter chapter one, verse 13 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Make sure you're thinking straight and make sure that you understand what's right and true. Kind of where we started this, examine the evidence and know what is actually going to happen. Because if you believe that he's faithful to keep those promises, we have that hope. But we can be deceived if we don't protect our thought life. We also have the responsibility of defending hope. We we can't just say we have hope and it just mean that we've got our fingers crossed and use our positivity to bring it all about. We have to be able to explain why we have hope and be able to defend that hope. First Peter chapter three, verse 15 says, but in your hearts, regard Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. This has been a favorite passage of mine since I was about 15. Uh, there's something about it that, that, touches me and and affects uh, really my outlook on what it means to be a servant of Christ. Peter here says, it's very important that I need to be able to communicate to people why I have hope. Oftentimes when we do what we call evangelism, uh, we start with a set of premises and try to argue those premises. Uh, We've been given uh, some formula by our church or denomination and, and told that if we can get people to agree with these points, we've done evangelism. But Peter here says, just be ready to talk about why you have hope. Yes, there are times you will go to Scripture and work on the finer points of doctrine and help people understand what God expects of them, what it means to be a follower of Christ. But initially, very often, what people are wanting to know is, how has this changed you? How has this helped you? Too often, it hasn't changed us or helped us. And so we have to revert back to what others are telling us to say. And that's a shame. Because if we've genuinely put our hope in Christ, we ought to be able to explain to people why. And here's the thing. People can argue with us about our understanding of a scripture. They cannot argue with us about a changed life. If we have put our hope in Christ and that has transformed us, we can, and we can explain that, it's kind of hard for people to argue with that, isn't it? It's very important that we're able to defend hope. It's one of our responsibilities, having been given this great power of hope. And then finally, we've been given the responsibility of, of purity. First John chapter 3, verse 3 says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Anyone who has tapped into this hope, John says, stays pure. They do because they want to be like Jesus. Purity is part of the responsibility. Unfortunately, sometimes people uh, get to this point and they say, oh, now you're talking about what we do and how we act, and that doesn't matter. Jesus did everything for us. We don't have to stay pure. Jesus purifies us, and we can do whatever we want. What we do doesn't matter. I know some of you are hearing that and going, wow, I've, uh, I've never heard anybody say that, but unfortunately, I have. 
there are ministers, there are preachers, there are pastors that, that say similar things, and it gives comfort to the people who listen to them that to be able to do whatever they want without consequence. But what Scripture tells us over and over again is we've been given a responsibility to allow God to purify us. God does the purifying. We, we don't make ourselves pure. Uh, but it does affect our actions. If we are becoming more pure, our actions will be more pure. Our hearts will be more pure. Our thoughts and words will be more pure. If that's not happening, we're not allowing the Spirit to do its work, and we've failed in our responsibility of hope. We don't realize that to experience that hope, we have to let God make us pure. We often refer to that process as sanctification. We are born into Christ as infants, but we grow up and become more spiritually mature. We become more pure as we hang on his every word and trust him enough to act on those words. With the Spirit in us, He cleans us up and makes us effective in His work. So you can see, we certainly have reason for hope. Now, we even explored the source of that and know how to tap into that hope. And we see that we have a responsibility when we have that hope. I hope during this season, you'll reflect on that for yourself and that you'll allow yourself to be a conduit of this hope to others as they contemplate what it means that Jesus arrived on this earth around 2,000 years ago. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter. 